0: This Sunday we have the story of Gideon. Gideon is recorded for us in the book of Judges, chapters 6 through the end of chapter 8. And then actually the story of his son comes in the following chapter, which is an interesting account, but not something we're going to get into today. We don't have time to read all three chapters in our podcast here, but as always, I do encourage you to read it for yourselves. Make sure you're very familiar with the account as it is written in Scripture. We probably don't have time also to go over all the details of chapter six through it with the kids. And so some of the Sunday school books usually just focus on chapter six and the first part of chapter seven, where you're introduced to Gideon, you hear about the problem with the Midianites, and then you hear about the beginning of his victory over the Midianites. I'm going to cover details all the way through chapter eight But you probably won't have time to go through all the details with the kids. The story of Gideon from a human standpoint is an account of a small, hopelessly outnumbered band winning against impossible odds. An underdog story. Everyone always loves an underdog story. But of course, that's only the way it looks from a human standpoint. In reality, the Lord is fighting for Gideon, and it's the Lord's strength that wins the victory. God emphasizes to Gideon and to the Israelites that the victory belongs to him and not to us, and that it is by his strength that Gideon wins and we win as well. By the strength of the Lord, my enemies are cut down before me. That's what the name Gideon means, hewer, one who hews. In this case, one who hews down the enemy of the Lord, not by his own strength, but by the strength of the Lord. The victory belongs to the Lord, not to Gideon and not to me. So law and gospel, when we rely on our own strength, we fail and we lose. But the gospel, when we rely on God's strength, the victory is ours through Jesus Christ. Jesus says to us, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And it's through the revelation of light that Gideon conquers. It is through the revelation of the light. Uh, The light is hidden under the torch and all of a sudden it blazes forth that God conquers on behalf of Gideon. That light is to the people of Israel, the light of salvation, but of course to the Midianites, it is the light of fear and of judgment. It is light of the Lord's strength shining in darkness. We also live in the darkness of our own sin and cannot conquer that darkness or our own sin by our own strength. Yet we have the light of God's gospel and his strength that comes to us through his word, which conquers our sin and gives us the victory again through Jesus Christ. With Gideon, we begin a discussion of the Judges. The last two weeks, we've been talking about Joshua uh, crossing the Jordan and then his first conquest in the land of Canaan over the city of Jericho. Now we get into the book of Judges. And the book of Judges is a book of cycles. Rebellion, retribution, repentance, rescue, and rest. That is, the people rebel against God. They don't listen to his word. They forget about him and follow idols god brings upon them judgment because of the rebellion that's the retribution the people oppressed by the midianites the philistines or some other group turns to god in repentance god has mercy on them and rescues them and then gives them rest for a little while until once again they turn in rebellion against him and the whole cycle is repeated you think of a mill wheel which is of course driven by the water the water pours over the paddles of the mill wheel and that forces the paddles down causing the wheel to turn as those paddles reach the bottom the water slides off them and free from the water they ascend up into the air as the pad- as the wheel continues to turn the cycle of the judges is very similar but instead of water it is god's grace that moves the wheel god pours out his grace upon the people and for a little while they have rest they then empty themselves of god's grace rejecting his grace turning away from him and in their rebellion uh, they start it's not god but it's they who start the process over again if either of these two things weren't true the wheel would not turn right if god refused to have mercy and grace upon his people even in their rebellion the cycle would stop and the people would be lost but of course, we remember from the prophet that God's mercies are new every morning. God will not stop having mercy upon his people. His grace is poured out upon them again and again. On the other hand, if the people would stop rebelling against God and trust in his grace and mercy, again, the wheel would stop. This time, the people, instead of being lost, would live peacefully in God's grace. But man and his sinfulness constantly reject God's grace. And so the cycle continues. Over and over again in the book of Judges and even beyond the book of Judges, even into kings and throughout the Old Testament. Even in the New Testament, the cycle continues where any given country or land hears God's word and rejoices in his salvation and his grace. But over time forget his grace and turn to themselves and trust in their own works instead of trusting in God's strength. And the cycle is repeated among us as well. In this case, the people turn away from the Lord, and the Lord uses mainly the Midianites. It's not just the Midianites. The Bible says also all the people from the east, that is the southeast of the land of Canaan, joined together, but it's mainly the power and the might of the Midianites which by which God teaches them repentance. The Midianites is kind of an interesting oppression because unlike many of the other oppressions which happened to israel the midians the midianites do not come in and rule and take over the rule of the land instead what they do is that they come up with their camels during the time of harvest and they raid the land of israel taking away everything that they can carry all the gold all the money all the fruits of the harvest and leaving israel in poverty and without food for the winter It only lasts for seven years. Many of the other oppressions last for quite a bit longer, but uh, this one only lasts for seven years before the people learn their lesson and they turn to God in repentance and God raises up Gideon to deliver them. The Midianites are descendants from Midian, one of Abraham's sons through his second wife, Keturah. So after Sarah died, uh, Abraham remarried a woman named Keturah and had sons through her. One of those sons was Midian. The Midianites are descended from them. The Midianites are sometimes grouped together with the Ishmaelites, who, of course, are descended from Abram's son Ishmael, which he had through Sarah's servant Hagar. The Ishmaelites and the Midianites live close to each other, and so they are sometimes grouped together under the title Ishmaelites, even though they're, and they are, relatives. Uh, One both descended from Abraham, but through different sons and so they are sometimes grouped together as they were in the story of Joseph for example And we're told that Midianite traders came through and Joseph's brothers sold him to them But at the same time, they are also called Ishmaelites And so the the names are sometimes joined the two groups are sometimes joined together in this case It's mainly the Midianites, but also some of the other groups from the east like the Ishmaelites and the Amorites and probably maybe even the edomites as well they uh rode camels up so they're a lot like the the midianites are actually a lot like the when we think of the vikings Uh, during the middle ages in europe who would come and they would come down from their homes and plunder the land uh, whomever they chose and then take the riches back home to be with them that's exactly what the midianites would do really the only difference between the midianites and the vikings is that the midianites rode camels through the desert up to the land of israel whereas the vikings used ships to come down across the sea uh, into europe even the names that the midianite kings give to themselves sound very much like viking names so two of the kings are named Oreb which means raven and another one is named Zeb which means wolf. So you can certainly picture um, viking raiders being having their kings named raven and wolf. <clears throat> so uh, very very similar in a lot of ways I just I think it's kind of interesting. Judges 6 tells us some not-so-great things about Gideon. Gideon is, from a human standpoint, the hero of the story, and yet he starts out uh, in sinfulness. He and his family have an idol to Baal and to Asherah set up on their property, and this is where all the people of the city of which he is a part come to worship. They're not worshiping God, they're, they're worshiping false gods. And not only is Gideon participating in that worship, but he is leading in that worship uh, the idols that have been set up on on his father's own property Uh, he is not one who trusts in god but is worshiping false idols and not only that but when the angel lord comes to speak to him gideon doubts it he says well if the lord is with us then why are these midianites opposing us what where are his great works that he did to our fathers and so he has this complaint against god which he thinks is maybe a good reason for not following the lord nevertheless the lord does appear to him and calls him out of sin just as the lord appeared to abraham and called him out of sin calls him to worship the true god and at the call of the lord gideon listens he cuts down the asherah pole he breaks down the the altar for Baal, and in the very same spot as the Lord commanded, he erects a altar to the Lord. He uses the wood of the Asherah pole to offer a sacrifice of a ram to Jehovah, to the true God. However, he does this at night because he is afraid of the villagers. When the villagers wake up the next morning and they find that Gideon has destroyed the altar, they're pretty mad about that. They want to sacrifice Gideon to Baal in order to appease Baal, but Gideon's father intervenes and Gideon's father says, look, if Baal is real and if he's a real god, he should be able to fight for himself. He shouldn't need villagers to fight for him. In other words, he's saying if Baal is real, let him prove it by him coming down and punishing Gideon for what he did. And so the villagers give to Gideon a new name, Jerubbaal, Baal, meaning let Baal fight. And so the idea there is, okay, if Baal is a real god, prove it by bringing condemnation on Gideon. That name is used for Gideon throughout his life as a testament to the fact that Baal is not a real god and did not defend himself against the actions of Gideon, whereas God is real and showed it by proving his strength through Gideon. So Gideon is a a test uh, between God and Baal. Uh, God shows his strength through Gideon. Baal does not punish Gideon because, of course, Baal is not real for what he did. The name Gideon, by the way, means, as we mentioned before, a hewer. And so it can refer to a, a, a farmer that hew, hews down at crops. Uh, the Lord, when the Lord first appeared to Gideon, of course, Gideon was in a wine press that had been hewn out of the ground. But most importantly, God uses the name to say to Gideon, "Thus you shall hew down, cut down God's enemies before Him in the strength of the Lord." And so there's uh, multiple meanings there, and multiple points of reference throughout Gideon's life to what his the meaning of his name and how God showed his strength through him. Gideon is hiding in a winepress threshing wheat when the Lord first appears to him. He, this shows how afraid he was of the Midianite raiders. It was a much harder task to thresh wheat in a winepress than in the open air. In the open air, he would have been throwing the wheat up into the air and the the wind would have carried away the chaff so after harvesting the wheat they beat it the hard kernels that they wanted to grind into wheat would fall down as sorry they would beat the wheat the the outer shell of would fall off the kernel and then they would throw the whole mixture into the air and that outer lighter shell would be carried away by the wind but the harder inner grain which is what they wanted would fall back down and in this way they would separate the wheat from the chaff which of course jesus also refers to This does not work when you're underground uh, in a cavern, and so instead instead of thrashing by throwing it into the air, which is a relatively easy way to do it, Gideon was thrashing the wheat by beating it and separating it in that way. A much less productive, much harder way to separate the wheat and the chaff. Nevertheless, he has to do it because he's afraid the Midians are going to see him thrashing the wheat and then they're going to come and they're going to take away the wheat. And so he's trying to hide from the Midianite raiders. So Gideon begins the story hiding from the Midianites. In a hewn out hewer, his name means hewer in a hewn out wine press, but the Lord calls him to go out of the hewn ground, to stand in the open air, to face God's enemies, and to cut them down as the hewer of the Lord it's the angel of the lord who appears to gideon which is a reference to the pre-incarnate son of god the very one who later would take on flesh become man and die for our sins this is he has he has not yet become man and he has not yet received the name of jesus of course but is the same son of god who appears to gideon here and speaks to him when he appears to Gideon, <clears throat> he tells him, go in the might of the Lord. Go in this might of yours, he says. Now that might of yours, of which he's talking to Gideon, isn't Gideon's strength. And that's the whole point, that Gideon has no strength in himself, and that's how Gideon responds. Who am I to go against the Midianites? I am, my family is the smallest of the families <clears throat> in Manasseh. Uh, but the might of yours that god is talking about is not the might that comes from gideon but the might that comes from the lord and is given to gideon it's just in the same way paul talks about the righteousness of god the righteousness that belongs to god but which is given to us through faith just as god spoke to abraham And the Bible says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. So the righteousness of God became Abraham's through faith and the righteousness of God becomes ours through faith. So also it is the strength of the Lord that is given to Gideon, not his strength, in which the Lord sends him forth. And then the Lord continues, have I not sent you? This is the assurance that Gideon has strength and is able to go forth, not because of who he he is, but because the Lord has called him and sent him. Paul, of course, reminds us, how shall they go unless they are sent? And he's thinking there about the preaching of God's word. And how can we go? How can we have the strength to go out and share God's word and preach God's word unless it is the Lord who sends us and the spirit of the Lord who goes with us? And so it is the strength of the Lord. That's the the theme of this account, that it is the strength of the Lord which accomplishes victory. And it is the strength of the Lord that is given to Gideon as the Lord sends him out. And so it is also the strength of the Lord that is given to us As the Lord sends us out, Gideon wants some reassurance that it is actually the Lord whom he is speaking to, and so he tells the Lord has appeared to him just in the form of a man. He doesn't look like a spirit or like an angel. He looks just like a man, and so Gideon tells him to wait there for a minute, and he goes and he uh, gets some flour and some animal uh, to offer as a sacrifice, he brings them back to the Lord, and the Lord tells him to put it on a rock, and Gideon puts on a rock and pours the oil on top of it, and then the angel of the Lord touches the offering with his staff, and the offering is burnt up. And when he does this, he then disappears from Gideon's sight. Gideon therefore recognizes that it truly was the Lord in whose presence he stood, and he falls down in fear. However, the Lord speaks to him again and says, Do not be afraid, but be at peace, for I have given you peace. And so Gideon erects the altar that the Lord told him to make, and he calls the name of that altar Yehovah Shalom, meaning the Lord is peace. This is one of the four Yehovah Shalt, Shalt, I'm sorry. This is one of the four Yehovah altars that we actually talked about a couple years ago now, I think, when I did a four-part series in Advent on the, the altars of Jehovah and their meaning. This one, it means Yehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. And notice that he names it the Lord is peace, not because the Lord has promised to give peace to his people in the midst of their tribulations with Midian, although that is true, but he names it the Lord is peace because the Lord has given him peace when Gideon himself knows himself to be a sinner and yet he has stood in the presence of the Lord he expects to die as he should, as he deserves, and yet the Lord has forgiven his sin, he has overlooked his iniquity, and has given him peace through the forgiveness of sins. Just as the Lord also is peace for us, that he has given us peace through the forgiveness of sins. Chapter 6 of the book of Judges, mentions some of these sins of Gideon he was a, a false worshiper of a false idol and, and that that idol was uh, even in his land he doubts the Lord when he comes to talk to him and he, he doubts him later as well he's hiding from the Midianites uh, and he's not and he's worshiping false worshiping we hear more sins of Joshua actually sorry of Gideon actually after his victory as well he rules as judge of Israel for a little while for 40 years. And during that time, he sets up an ephod, and the people worship that ephod, which is, again, they are caused to commit idolatry. And the Bible specifically says that that ephod was a stumbling block, a trap for Gideon and his family that led the, him into sin. He also had many different wives and ended up having uh, 70, 70 different children that Gideon had. And some of the sins of Gideon are seen in the result of what happens to those children after Gideon dies but we probably don't need to get into that with the children the point is that Gideon was a sinner like all of us and yet he receives forgiveness and peace through God's mercy and therefore he names the the altar Yehovah Shalom the Lord is peace. We also notice a big change in Gideon. Uh, before he was filled with doubt and unbelief, hiding in the wine press, questioning and blaming God, or it's your fault for not being with us and keeping us from the anger of the Midianites and hiding in that wine press and even and doubting God. But now. The spirit of the Lord is upon him, we read, and he goes forth with boldness. He tears down the altar of Baal. And true, he does it at night because he's afraid of the villagers, but he does it. He stands up against the villagers when they come in and demand that uh, he rebuild the altar or that, that Gideon be sacrificed upon it. Uh, with a little hope from his father, of course, but he stands up to them and, and professes that the Lord is the only true God. And then in a little bit, a little bit later he goes out against the Midianites. And so again, we see the strength of the Lord present in Gideon, whereas before he was weak and sinful and afraid. Now the Lord has given him strength, and he is a mighty man in the presence of the Lord because of the Lord's strength, not because of his own. We see the same change in the disciples, of course, after Pentecost, when they receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, There's such a marked difference before they are hiding in fear, and then afterwards they go forth in the proclamation of Christ. We see the same difference in Saul, who oppressed the church, and yet the Lord calls him and sends him and he goes out again in the strength of the Lord. We see the same change in, in uh, King Saul, who after he was anointed, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he went forth prophesying in the name of the Lord. And there are many other examples in the Bible. And so you could ask the kids, well, what made Gideon a mighty warrior? That's what God calls him, a mighty warrior. What made him a mighty warrior with the strength to oppose the Midianites? And the answer, of course, is the Lord gave him that strength. The spirit of the Lord made him into that mighty warrior, not Gideon himself. Uh, a little bit later, after uh, Gideon has destroyed the altar and has started to worship the only true God, the Midianites come again in the fall after the harvest. Uh, they camp in the valley. Their numbers are, are said to be too numerous to count. The, the camels are too numerous uh, to count. They fill the valley this is a, a large host. We find out later on that there was about 135,000 of them, so quite a large group that come up and they're camped just near the city where Gideon is living. Gideon lives in Orpha, or sorry, of- Ofrah, uh, Ofrar, uh, is how to pronounce it, of- of- Ofra, Uh which is near the south border of Manasseh, right near Shechem. So those maps in the Um, the older kids room and Jessica Krieger's room, you can find a map that shows where the 12 tribes of Israel are located. And that will be useful later on in this lesson as well. Actually just coming up in a minute here, you can find the, uh, area where Manasseh is settled and near the Southern part of that, you might be able to find Shechem, uh, Ophrah is probably right near that. We don't know for sure, actually, where where the city was, but not, that's the best guess based on the evidence that we have. The people of the uh, the people of Midian, uh, come and camp in the valley of Jezreel, which is just slightly to the north of Shechem. Again, not that far from where Gideon is. The spirit of the Lord comes upon Gideon, and Gideon sends messengers throughout Manasseh, but he also sends mes- messengers up to. Uh, Asher, Zebulon, and Naphtali. So again, if you look at that map, you'll see that Asher, and Zebulon, and Naphtali are the areas to the north of Manasseh. It's kind of interesting that he sends messengers up to the north to Asher, Zebulon, and Naphtali, but he does not send them down to the south. The land of Ephraim is not that far. Uh, the city where, where Gideon lives is just on the border with Ephraim. But for some reason, and we don't know why, he doesn't say, uh, he does not send messengers down to the south. And later on, the people of Ephraim are actually going to complain about this. Well, why didn't you let us come and help with the battle? (laughs) Gideon will have to uh, talk to them about that. But for whatever reason, he does not send messengers south. He only sends them north uh, throughout Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali. As is waiting for the men to come from Manasseh, Asher, Zebulon, and Naphtali, Gideon asks the Lord for a test. He wants to make sure that the Lord is with him. He wants to make sure that this is what the Lord wants him to do, that the Lord wants him to go out, and that the Lord is going to give him victory over the Midianites. There's a little bit of a lack of trust there, but at the same time, he is going to the Lord. He's asking, I want to make sure this is really your will. We remember how Joshua, when he attacked Ai, the city of I did not inquire the Lord what his will was and and paid the the cost for that so there's, there's some doubt there, but there's also some good, like, okay, I'm going to inquire of the Lord. But he gives the Lord this test with with regard to a fleece. He puts a fleece out on the ground, and he says, Okay, in the morning, let the fleece be covered with water, and all the ground around it be dry. Of course, that would be very unusual. Usually everything's covered with dew, or nothing is, right? But here, it's just the fleece that's supposed to be covered with dew. And of course, the next morning, the Lord does exactly that. Uh, Gideon comes out, and he finds the fleece covered with water and in fact he wrings out the fleece and it's a full bowl of water so it's not just a little bit of dew but it is covered and yet the 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 ground is dry gideon wants to make sure it's not just some kind of fluke or some weird thing with the the fleas and so he says okay lord do the opposite next morning i'll let the ground be covered with water and the fleece be dry and of course it is so there is some doubt in gideon's mind here but again it's the strength of the lord and so the lord gives gideon reassurance that he can trust in him that this is what the lord wants him to do About 32,000 men gather from those tribes. This is far less than what the Midians have. Remember, the Midians have about 135,000 men. So even with 32,000 men, they are still vastly outnumbered, four to one odds, over uh, four Midianites to every one Israelite. That was a ratio that ordinarily there's no way you're going to defeat an army that much bigger than you uh, with such a small gathering. And yet the Lord says to Gideon, no, this is too many. Because again, the Lord wants to show that the strength is his and the the victory is his and the victory does not belong to Gideon. The strength does not belong to Gideon or the people of Israel. He wants to make it absolutely clear beyond any doubt that it is he who is going to win the victory. And this goes back to what Gideon said at the beginning of chapter six. Remember Gideon said, where are the great works, the miracles of the Lord? He's saying we heard how he delivered the people of Israel from Egypt, how he sent the plagues, how he opened the Red Sea, how he sent manna in the wilderness. We heard of all these great things that God did in the past. Where are they now? Well, God is answering Gideon. He's showing him his great work. Uh, 32,000 is too many, he says. We need less. And so the Lord, through Gideon, tells everyone who is afraid to go home. About 22,000 leave. Okay, I'm afraid I'm going to go home. And that leaves only about 10,000. I, I personally wonder if, if they, that 10,000 really weren't afraid or if they just were afraid to admit that they were afraid and therefore they stayed. But well, for whatever reason, 10,000 remain. God says, it's still too many. And so God directs Gideon to take the men down to the river. And all who get down on their knees and drink the water right out of the river are sent home. But those who cup their hands and draw the water up to the mouth and lap, the water, uh, they are told to remain. Now, sometimes people have tried to make, uh, draw conclusions about this. Like, oh, those who who lap it shows uh, that they trust the Lord or, or something like that. And I, I don't know that you can really say that. I don't know that you can really make any real analogies. Scripture certainly doesn't. I think it was just kind of an arbitrary test in order to winnow down the number of men. And so there's 300 who draw the water up and and lap it from their hands. And that's what the Lord said, okay, with these 300, now I'm going to save Israel and give... Israel the victory over the Midianites. So we start with 4 to 1 odds. 32,000 men against 135,000 Midianites. We're now down to 450 to 1 odds. uh, 300 Israelites versus 135,000 Midianites. The odds were impossible before. Now they're just right out insane. And yet, of course, it is the strength of the Lord, not the strength of the people of Israel, that gives them the victory. Gideon is still weak, still doubting the Lord, and so the Lord gives him one final proof to really strengthen him. God appears to Gideon, he says, if you're still afraid, if you're still worried go down to the camp of the Midianites and listen to what you hear there so Gideon takes his servant and he goes down he gets as close to the camp as he can he's just within ear reach of where he can hear the guards talking and he hear that he hears these two guards talking to each other one of them says well did you did you hear about this dream apparently a lot if not all the people in the camp had this had this dream the night before it, they were sleeping did you hear about this dream where a loaf of barley bread rolls down on of the hills and smashes? smashes? smashes the tent of the Midianites and the other guard says surely this can be nothing else than the sword of Gideon who is going to smash the tents of the Midianites. And so Gideon sees that the Lord has already put fear into their hearts. And this is an incredible thing because after all, he only has 300 men. And yet the Midianites are afraid of him, not because uh, he's so so great, but uh, because the Lord put that fear into their hearts. And so Gideon takes heart. He goes back to the Israelites. He says, the Lord has given us the victory. He says, look, follow my lead. He divides those 300 men into three groups, 100 each. It doesn't specifically say that, but we assume that when he divides them into three groups, it's three equal groups. He gives everybody a trumpet and an empty jar with a torch inside. Well, I guess the jar is not empty because there's a torch inside, but it's empty of whatever would normally have been in the jar. And he tells them to follow his lead. So they divide up uh, and they each go to a different side of the Midian camp. So on three sides of the the Midian camp, you got these, these men and he tells them to when he when they see him or they hear him blowing the trumpet then they should do the same and so they they go out and they get into their position just after the beginning of the middle watch so the night would have been divided into three watches uh, 4 hours each about 6 to 10 10 to 2 a.m and 2 a.m to 6 a.m so this would have been just right after about uh, 10 p.m and you can imagine most of the people would have just gone to bed everyone would be just falling asleep and it's just at this moment then just after the changing of the guard for the second watch uh, when all the soldiers have, have finished and gone to bed and have, have just about fallen asleep that gideon blows the horn, breaks the clay pots, the light shines forth, and when the other companies see it, they do the same thing, and they all blow the horn and shout for God, for Jehovah, and for Gideon. The people in the camp wake up, confused, startled. What is this light? What is this noise? The Israelites have come upon us, they say. They grab their swords and just start fighting everyone they can see. They're just so confused and afraid that they just start killing each other. Now, Obviously, a light coming on suddenly right after you're going to going to sleep could easily cause you to wake up confused, but there's more than just natural <laughs> confusion going on here. The commentary from Concordia points out that if even 10%, even 10%, of the Midianites had kept their wits about them and had stopped long enough to kind of look around and see what's going on. They could have easily overcome and defeated the Israelites with even 10%. And yet the Lord fills them all with fear, causing them to turn on each other. They run and they flee as far south as Abel Mahalo. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. That's a that beautiful passage, a beautiful passage we usually hear around Christmas time reminds us uh, of the day of Midian and compares it to the coming of the Messiah. Uh, The yoke of the oppressor shall be broken as in the day of Midian. And that very passage begins with, On those who sat in darkness, a light has shone. So again, a, a reference to Gideon and how the light shone forth and God used that light to bring victory. In the middle of the night, that light shone forth and gave salvation to God's people, but brought destruction and wrath upon god's enemy and that's the same passage that then goes on to us a child is uh, uh, to us a son is born to us a child is given and on his shoulders the government shall rest and so just as gideon brought uh salvation although it was god who brought it through gideon uh, to his people at this time so also jesus would be the light of the world would shine forth to bring salvation to his people and again that is the strength of the lord uh not our strength as the Midianites flee to the south, to Abel Mahalo, now Gideon does call on the men to Ephraim. And perhaps this is why he didn't call on them before. Perhaps he was waiting. He wanted them uh, to guard the River Jordan. Although one would think that if that was his plan, he would have told them that. And that they could have been ready you know, before the, the Midianites even fled. But for whatever reason, he didn't call them before. Now he does send out messengers. He asks them to hold the River Jordan so that the Midianites will be trapped between his army and between the armies of Ephraim and not able to escape the land. This is fairly uh, successful. Uh, the, the Ephraimites uh, actually capture two of the kings of the Midianites, uh, the two that we mentioned before, the ones named Raven and Wolf, and many of their other, uh, of their other people. But not everyone is killed or captured about fifteen thousand Midianites escape from Israel, and the kings Zebah and Zelmuna escape as well. Gideon pursues them with his three hundred men and notice even now it's three hundred men even against fifteen thousand. Uh, Even with the armies of the Midianites so completely destroyed, with such a very small percentage of them left, nevertheless, they still greatly outnumber the people following Gideon, which is only, you know, 300 men. Nevertheless, Gideon, in the spirit of the Lord, follows after to try and make a final end to all the Midianites so that they will not plague the israelites anymore as he crosses the jordan he asks um, the cities of sukkoth and peniel to help him to give food to his soldiers they refuse uh, they don't want to uh, pick sides. Uh, they don't want the wrath of the Midianites coming down upon them for helping the Israelites. And so, even though they themselves are Israelites, we should say, uh, but so they say, no, 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 we're not going to help you uh, unless you first kill their kings. Well, their help's not going to matter that much after Gideon kills their kings, right? And so Gideon promises to come back and punish them after he kills the kings for their lack of help now. Uh, Gideon does... in. Indeed, catch up to Zebah and Zamuna and he and his 300 men fall upon them when they're not suspecting. Uh, he destroys the armies. He brings the kings back to the land of Israel and executes them. He executes them because they executed his brothers. He asks them, what happened to these men? And they say, oh yeah, we killed those men. And so Gideon says, because you killed my brothers, therefore I'm going to kill you. He does also punish those two cities as he had promised. He then goes back and the people of Israel ask him to be their king. He correctly refuses. He tells them, no, the Lord is your king. I'm not going to be your king. I'm not going to take the place of the Lord. The Lord is your king. But he agrees in essence to be their judge to be the one who speaks for the Lord. And so he has them build an an ephod, which he sets up in his hometown. Now, this was a problem because an ephod, although it was prescribed in the book of Leviticus, it was something that the high priest only was supposed to have and to and to wear. And so an ephod was the way in which God communicated to his people through the high priest. And so in a sense, Gideon is, is looking for the Lord to lead the people and is looking for his guidance, let the Lord speak to us through this ephod. But it was wrong for him to make one and set it up uh, for himself to use. It should have only been used by the high priest. And later on, this ephod would become a snare to the people of Israel and to Gideon who would start to worship the ephod itself as though it was God instead of recognizing it only as a tool through which God speaks to them. And so Gideon again fell into idolatry. Although he worshipped Jehovah, and he didn't worship Baals, uh, he, he and the people of Israel would make pilgrimages uh, to worship before this ephod. It became a snare to him and his family, the Bible says. Yet despite the fact that he was a sinner, like all of us, and failed in many ways, God used him to give a mighty victory to His people, and they had 40 years again of rest as long as Gideon was judge over Israel. God gave them God gave them rest from their enemies, and for the most part, they worshipped the Lord. When Gideon died. They turned back to Baal and the false gods, and once again, they fall into turmoil, tribulation, and troubles. This time, it's actually through Gideon's own son, but that is another story. The strength is from the Lord, and may the Lord give you strength in your Sunday school lesson as well. The Lord's blessings be with you. As always, let me know if you have any questions.